Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll be there in a moment. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of, yeah, a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago, uh, now, a group of us from our church had the privilege of going to Kenya on a short-term missions trip, and we got to serve Jesus there. And one of the cool things that we got to do there was we got to go on a real African safari. And, and let me tell you, in my opinion, the Maasai Mara is one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's, it's a wide-open grassland. I easily the size of Connecticut. I mean, it's, it's massive. You don't just, you know, walk across it in one day. It's a huge, huge, huge place. But what's magical about this place is, you know all those cool animals that you love to see at the zoo behind bars? Well, this is where they live. And so you get to, I mean, literally lions, giraffes, elephants. We saw hippos in the water, crocodiles in the water, you got Pumbaa and Timon running across there, literally, you know. And, I mean, it was just so, just so, and they're all, it's like it's, you're in their house. I mean, it's just so cool to watch it. And uh, so we're riding through one morning on this, um, you know, in that, in that little safari vehicle with no roof. And you're standing up, and you get to look out, and it's pretty neat. And... And we're watching one morning these two lionesses and these, these two female lions, and they had their cubs. And, you know, they're cute, and the cubs are wrestling, and they're doing all that cub stuff. And, and the girls are all wanting to take pictures, and they want to, you know, pack them up in their suitcase and take them home because they're so fuzzy and cute. And about 100 yards away, you've got these two wildebeests, just dumb as can be, sauntering through the grassland. And I'm convinced wildebeest, that's just like God's way to keep meat fresh for the lions, basically, is what it is. And so these guys, they're just, you know, meandering through the grass. And suddenly these two lions, their ears perk up. They're on high alert. They see the wildebeests. And it was the coolest thing. We got to watch these two lions hunt a wildebeest, like right in front of our eyes. They make a circle. They started one went this way, one went that way. And basically, then they disappeared in the grass, the tall grass. We didn't see them for a little while. But then after a little while, the wildebeest saw them. And the wildebeest started running. And when the wildebeest saw them, it was too late. It was seconds, literally seconds. One wildebeest is running, and the other one was four legs sticking up in the grass. It was amazing that one minute this, this soft and fuzzy and, oh, we want to put it in our suitcase and take it home, and they're so cute. The next minute, it's brutal, ferocious. The swiftness with which it killed its prey was absolutely stunning. I can tell you right now, there's an enemy who prowls in your life, in the grasslands of your life. And if you're not aware of it, you are destined to fall prey to him. The enemy 
moves slowly. He's patient. He doesn't just attack like these lions. Wildebeest, by the time the wildebeest saw the lion, game over. Same thing with our enemy. He doesn't just announce himself boldly. Are you kidding me? He's sneakier than those lions ever were. The, the singing group, Christian singing group, Casting Crowns, they had this song called A Slow Fade. And, and it's, a, it's an older song. Maybe you've heard of it, but the chorus goes like this. It says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. You catch that line, people never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, today is the day that I'm going to ruin my life. It's a slow fade. The enemy, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, that we're to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the enemy's schemes. Everybody say the word schemes. It's a scheme. You know the concept behind a scheme? The concept is you don't know you're getting schemed until it's too late. Remember a few years ago, a guy by the name of Bernie Madoff? Remember that name? The guy ran the most successful Ponzi scheme in history, stealing over $20 billion from people. And what made Bernie Madoff famous wasn't really the amount of money that he stole, although that's pretty amazing, but it was who he stole from. Bernie ripped off some of the world's brightest, smartest, best-connected, wealthiest people. They fell for his scheme. And if you don't think that the devil's schemes are something that you don't need to worry about, <laughs> think again. Some of us might argue this morning, you go, well, hey, shouldn't, you know, we're Christians, like, shouldn't we just talk about Jesus? Like, Jesus is really what it's all about. And I can, t I can completely agree with you. I love talking about Jesus. I hate talking about the devil. I just tell it right up front. I'd rather talk about Jesus any old day. However, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Word of God tells us that we need to watch out for him. In the King James Version of the Bible, the, the word the devil is used 56 times in 49 Bible verses. And that's just the devil. Then other references that allude to evil, Satan, Beelzebub, so on and so forth, many more. In other words, the Bible treats the devil not as some like cameo appearance once in a while in your life. The Bible treats him as a very real threat. And so if the Bible treats him as such, we also need to do the same. So who is he? Who's the devil? Let me just quickly say this. He is not God's nemesis. He is not God's competition. He is not, he is God's enemy, but he's not at all the opposite of God. 
The devil, listen, God stands alone. God is glorious. God is all-powerful. God is the only being in the universe who is eternal. And by eternal, that means he has always existed. He doesn't ever, he's never had a beginning. God has always been and always will be. The devil was created, not as the devil, he was created as an angel, one of the angelic beings that served God in heaven for who knows how long, and we don't really know at what point, at some point, chose to rebel against the very one who created him. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, uh, speak uh, or allude to the devil and his fall. It says, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. Some versions actually input the word Lucifer right in there. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Uh, In the Bible, stars of God is often an allusion to angels. And so here he says, I'm going to raise myself above all the other angels. Not only will he do that, I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I'm going to enthrone myself. I'm going to sit on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. Look at the pride. I will make myself like the most high. And here's scripture's verdict on that. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12 tells us, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. It's like, stinks to be you. (laughs) He fell from heaven, and now he's on earth. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury. Why? Because he knows his time is short. There's another one, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. It goes on to say in the same chapter, it says, Then the dragon, that's the devil, was enraged at the woman. That's probably a reference to Mary giving birth to Jesus. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Hmm. So look who he's coming after. Pay attention, but take courage. Don't be afraid. There's no reason to be fearful about this. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says that Jesus disarmed the powers and the authorities. He disarmed them, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We celebrated that in communion this morning, friends. Jesus disarmed them and made them powerless. So listen, the devil is a foe. But he's a defeated foe. So, why do I have to worry about him? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Some of you in this very room are literally following things taught by demons. The Spirit clearly says, this is not a, it's not, it's not like, you know, you're not reading into this. The Spirit of God clearly says that in later times, and we're living in the end of the end times, that people will abandon the faith, they'll just throw it away, and they'll follow 
deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Not only that, but 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So not only am I at risk for being deceived by demons, but he says, but Peter urges me to abstain from sinful desires, which are mine, my own sinful desires. Why? He says, because they wage war against your soul. So wait a second. So I'm, so it's not just a problem out there. I, I, got, a, I got a war going on in here. Yes. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, verse 21, the apostle Paul even confessed. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Is that not your experience? I know that it's mine. God, I want to do good. I want to I obey you. I want to honor you. I want to please you. I, I want to be a man of integrity. I want that, Lord. I want that so badly. And yet there are some days where the battle is fierce. Do you feel this? So do I. So I got to own my own sinful desires. You know, I can't blame the devil for those. I, I can only blame myself for my own sinful desires. And they war, wage war against my own soul. So now this brings us to the topic of strongholds. Because strongholds are the issue that really you and I are dealing with as the people of God. I come to Jesus, I trust him as my savior, and Jesus cleanses me and washes me from my sin. But how many of you know you bring baggage with you into your relationship with Jesus? Anybody got luggage? Anybody got luggage from your past? Yes, I got the whole set, the American Tourister, and I got the carry-on, and I got the backpack. I got the whole set, man. It's nice, matching. Yes, we bring luggage with us into our relationship with Jesus. These are called strongholds, and that's what we're addressing this week in our rooted groups. Um, on page 101 of the leader's manual, so not everybody has this, but your rooted group leader has their facilitator guide. On page 101 in that facilitator guide, they define stronghold this way. They say a stronghold is a demonic fortress of thoughts housing evil spirits that control, dictate, and influence your attitudes and behavior. They oppress and discourage you Filter and color how you view or react to situations, circumstances, or people. In, the, in my own uh, hillbilly um, simplified way, the way that I would define a stronghold, it's just that thing that just keeps tripping you up. You know it. In that thing, you say, man, why can't I seem to get victory over that? Why does, you know, why does this issue keep coming up in my life? That's a stronghold. Does that make sense? To me, that makes more sense than that long, I have to, you have to explain all those long words. It's just something that, it's a repeated behavior, it's a repeated way of thinking, it's a repeated attitude that just keeps coming up that I can't seem to kick it. How does it get formed in my life? 
Well, our rooted material on page 103 in the leader's guide, actually, it says there are seven basic needs with which God created you and me. We have seven basic needs. And I thought this was good because I always, I, I'm thinking, how, how many basic needs do I have? I couldn't think of too many. Food. <laughs> anyway, so here they, they got seven of them. And here's the seven. It says we have a need for dignity. I get that, a need for dignity, a need for authority. We all need a sense of, uh, you know, I'm in charge of this and I can do this, authority. We need a sense, we, have, we need blessing and provision. We need security. We need purpose and meaning. We need freedom within boundaries. And we need intimate love and companionship. I think when you think through all seven of those, you'd say, yeah, I can see that. I can see how those are needs in my life. Now, a stronghold is formed in you and me when we try to meet these needs in a way that God is not designed for them to be met. It's kind of like putting water in my car's gas tank. I can fill the tank with water. Not going to do the car very good, is it? And, and this is what a stronghold is, how it works. I, I, I filled my life with something that wasn't meant to be there. And it ends up causing me trouble. The devil's always trying to convince you and me to meet your needs your way without consulting God about how to do it. Constantly. Come on, it goes all the way right back to Genesis chapter 3, right back to Adam and Eve in the garden, standing there with the apple or whatever it was. The very root of that temptation was, you, need, you have a need and God's not filling it, so you have to fill it this way. Here it is. Doesn't that look good? This is, this is the, the, the crux of temptation. He's always getting us to do that. So a stronghold is this unhealthy or unholy pattern that's developed in our lives. And it's a way of thinking, a way of feeling, a way of behaving, and we just repeat it. It's an unholy and unhealthy pattern. And you know, sometimes strongholds are even unknown to us. I mean, sometimes you know them. You go, oh, alcoholism, oh, that's an obvious one. It, and it is, that would certainly be a stronghold. But there are other times when strongholds are unknown to us even. It's quite possible that sitting here this morning, you got strongholds you don't, even, you don't even know about. I can tell you that in my own life, I spent most of my adult life until just a few years ago trapped in the stronghold of rejection and judgment. And I didn't even know that it was there until my family nearly fell apart, until I dis almost destroyed my marriage over it. And, and, the, and the day sitting in counseling, when I, when I saw rejection for the first time in my life, it just, it just broke me. The counselor asked me, he said, so tell me, how, uh, how, when, the question he asked was, what's your earliest memory of feeling rejected? That question unlocked just everything in my soul. It was amazing how, how that... And that started a chain of events, man, that just began to release, you know? And I can say that I still, I still wrestle with it. 
the best I can testify to is the big rocks got taken out of the way, and I'm still dealing with the little pebbles day in and day out. There's still, you know, remnants of it are there. But my point is, that was in my life, ruining my life, and I didn't even know it until five, six years ago. It's possible that you could have a stronghold and not know it. And so in your, in your book, I love this little resource that Rooted has given to us because in your student book, they actually list on, on pages 103 through 105, they list 12 different strongholds and then the freedom that, that uh, you know, is opposite of that stronghold. And I promise you I'm not going to talk through all 12 of these today because you can read your Rooted book and, and you're going to discuss this this week in your group and so you're going to dive a lot deeper. But I just want to whet your appetite for this, okay, so you can see huh, maybe if this morning, if we, if we can each begin to really seriously pray, like, God, is there a stronghold in my life? Is there something you want me to deal with? That'd be awesome. Let's, let's start there, because I believe that God wants to set us free. So, so just a couple of things. Let me just highlight a couple. How about the stronghold of control? Some people actually joke about being a control freak. That's nothing to joke about. It's really serious. You know, every stronghold is supported by a lie that we believe. And control is about manipulating people and situations in order to make me more comfortable. Control. How about jealousy? The lie behind jealousy is that I'm entitled to what I have. And if you have something that I don't have, then you must have done something wrong to get it. Jealousy. I want it. I want what you have because I deserve it. Envy is at the very root of socialism. See it. You see it. These people are jealous of those people who obviously have what they have because they did something wrong to get it. Just a thought. Envy will also be the driving force behind how many people vote this Tuesday. Just pay attention, think through it, look at it. How about another one, false teaching, religion. The lie behind this is that what I believe is what is true and that what I believe is more trustworthy than what God says. That's a false religion. That's a, that's a, a false teaching. Had the opportunity recently to fly on an airplane next to a guy who spent the entire trip telling me all about how he believes in positive thinking and just like positive vibes and stuff. And, and he pulls out of his pocket this little rock that he has that he uses to make decisions. And, and this little rock is like tied to a string on a paper clip and he's holding it over his lap. And if it goes counterclockwise, it means this. If it goes clockwise, it means that. This guy is telling me this on the airplane. And, and he goes, you know, he's telling me how great this is. I mean, this is just awesome. And so I tell him, I say, well, you know, actually, I, I follow Jesus. And I believe that God's word is true. And, and I found that to really give the best direction in life. He goes, oh, he dismisses. He dismissed my belief. And I, I thought, now that is really interesting. I, I'm saying to you that I happen to adhere to this 
this document that is 66 books written by over 40 people, three different languages on four different continents over the time span of 2,500 years, that it's been complete for over 2,000 years, and countless people around the world in history, have, their lives have been dramatically changed by the teachings of this book, and, you're, and I'm the fool. And you're dangling a rock over your lap telling me that's how you make decisions. Do you, but, but you understand, and I'm not, I, you know, you got to be respectful, of course. But that's, that's a stronghold. He's adhering to a false teaching, a false religion, and missing out on truth. Or how about insecurity? There's another good one. Or how about, how about fear? There's another good one. I hope I just, all I wanted to do is whet your appetite. Those are the 12 strongholds. But what I really want to do is get into 2 Corinthians because this, my friend, is where the rubber hits the road. So you got your Bibles open, I pray, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 3 through 5. And uh, here's, what, <clears throat> here's what it says. Though we, though we live in the world... All of us are living in the world. We don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You notice something in these couple of verses that the rest of the world attacks what's obvious. So they use weapons that are obvious. They riot, they burn, they blow up, they complain, they protest, etc., etc., etc. These are the weapons of the world. Where there's an obvious problem, they attack it with an obvious solution. However, the people of God operate differently. You see that? We don't ignore the obvious problem. We're not. We simply go after the root of the problem, which is found in the spirit realm. Since the problem has a spiritual root, we attack it on a spiritual level. See, what's behind these obvious problems are strongholds. So while the rest of the world holds an anger management class, and listen, not a bad idea, the people of God go after the spiritual stronghold that's at the root of the problem. While the rest of the world goes to AA, holds a 12-step program, again, not a bad idea. Certainly go, they're good. The people of God go after the spiritual stronghold that's beneath that problem. Does this make sense? We live in the world, but we don't wage war as the world does. We're living on an entirely different level. And you look at verse 4 again. He says, the weapons we fight with have what kind of power? Divine power. Hey, these aren't your normal weapons. These are God's weapons. And do you realize that as a friend of Jesus Christ, you are living with the power of God to defeat the schemes of the devil? Do you realize that? That you have these weapons at your disposal. They're for you to use in the name of Jesus how do we defeat the schemes of the devil? Look at verse 5. Verse 5 gives us three things we do to defeat these schemes. The first one is we demolish the arguments. You see that? He says we demolish arguments, 
We demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And the third thing we do is we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. So let's talk through these real quick. We demolish, first of all, arguments. This is why it's so important for us to know our Bible. Because, you know, when the devil was tempting Jesus, what did Jesus use? He used the word of God. He knew the word. And the same is true for you and me. If we're going to defeat the arguments that come against us, then we need to know the Word of God to be able to do that effectively. Here's what I mean. Here's what an argument is. You might want to write this down. An argument is the reason you tell yourself why this is stupid and it won't work. It's an argument. Some of you, this entire message, have been using arguments in your mind to dismiss the notion of strongholds. An argument is the reasons you give as to why this is stupid and it doesn't apply to you. An argument is the excuse. You justify it as to why you don't actually have to deal with that stronghold. I'll give you a couple of examples. When I was a youth pastor, I had parents that would reject any advice that I gave to them about their teenagers by saying to me, oh, just wait till you have teenagers. Well, what difference does that make? If it's the Bible, it's the Bible. I mean, it's good advice. Do you see how the argument? The argument is raised up, keeping me from having to really listen to you. I can dismiss it. How about, how about I mean, and I find it in ministry all the time. In ministry, you're either too young or you're too old or you're too something. People use it all the time in ministry. At some point, I don't think I'm too old yet, but I think I'm getting there probably. I feel like it someday. How about, how about this as an argument? All Christians are judgmental. So I'm not going to ask my group for help because Christians are judgmental. Well, perhaps you ran into a few judgmental Christians in your experience, but that doesn't mean that this group is judgmental. And can I ask you that, how's that working for you? It's an argument that you're using to keep yourself from having to deal with the stuff you got to deal with. Do you see that, how that's not helpful to you? How about this one? Another, my problem is the worst one, and nobody understands it. No, nobody, nobody else has this problem. Nobody else. Now, here's where the Word of God comes in. You know what the Word of God says about that? There's no temptation taking you except that which is common to man. In other words, your problem, everybody else has the same problem. You're not the only one with that problem. Anyway, do you see how arguments work? So we build up arguments in our minds that keep us from having to deal with the stronghold. And Paul says we're going to demolish those arguments. If you're going to take apart the stronghold in your life, one of the first things you have to do is evaluate the arguments that you use that justify that stronghold and keep you from having to face it. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to demolish the pretensions, Paul says, that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. You see that in verse 4 also. The pretensions refers to lies. 
lies in our culture that keep us from knowing God. Look at the phrase again. Demolish pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, against the experience, the encounter with God, knowledge, firsthand knowledge. So these are pretensions. These are lies that are in our culture, that are in our thinking, that actually keep us from an intimate relationship with God. Do you see how that's different than an argument? I mean, arguments do the same thing, but Paul's diving a little deeper in there. For example, let me just expose a couple that you might hate me for, but it's okay. So how about this one? Love is love. A lot of people like those little signs on their yard these days, and, they, and on that sign says, love is love. Now, there's a couple things about that statement. That's a pretension. First of all, it's nonsense. That's like saying chair is chair. You don't use a word to define a word. It means nothing. It's literally meaningless to say love is love. First. Second thing, there's a pretension behind it that is deadly to your relationship with God. Because the lie behind that statement is it's unloving to tell anybody that what they're doing is wrong. But you understand that one of the very first steps to you being made right with God is acknowledging that you have sinned and seeking his forgiveness. So you see how that's a pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Because it, the only way that I or you or anyone's going to have hope of being intimately in relationship with God and having a reconciled relationship with him is first to recognize that I have sinned that I have done wrong, that I have offended the God of the universe, and that I need his forgiveness. Do you see how that's a pretension? Some of us will remain stuck in our strongholds because we refuse to dismantle the pretensions that keep the stronghold in place. I shared earlier that I had a stronghold of rejection in my own life. This stronghold of rejection in my life was held together by a pretension. I hope this makes sense. I'm going to read it. The pretension that held that stronghold in place for me was that I must do something important for God. And if I do not do something important for God, then my life will not count. And if my life will not count, then it's a wasted life. This set me on a deadly path where I was willing to dismiss my family, my friends, my loved ones, all in pursuit of, quote, God's call to do something great for God. As I shared, it nearly ruined my life. And it wasn't until I could dismantle that pretension and tear it apart that I could begin to loosen the grip of that stronghold of rejection in my life. I hope that makes sense. I guess I'm sharing my story with you to say to this, to say to you, right, that, listen, it's a process, and you and I, we got some work to do this week. I hope maybe you're hearing that. You got work to do, my friend, this week. One of the things that you've got to do is you got to dig in, you got to try to understand the pretensions that set up the stronghold in your life. And you demolish the arguments that push it off so that I don't have to deal with it. And the third thing Paul says you got to do is you got to take captive 
every thought, you got to make it obedient to Christ. See that? This is where the rubber hits the road. There's no breakthrough without follow-through. Think of what happens this week in your group as this. Your group, Lord willing, your group's going to be able to get around you, and they're going to pray for you. And I believe with all my heart that in that prayer, you will be set free. I believe that 100%. But think of it like this. It's kind of like when your group prays for you, they're going to take the key, and they're going to unlock the jail cell gate. And they're going to open that up. Now, you got to walk out, and you got to learn how to live free. This is a process. Does this make sense? When they pray for you, freedom. you got to learn how to be free. This is taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. This is why this week you're going to get, and our, and our rooted leaders, you guys uh, hopefully got your envelope this morning. If you didn't, they're on the welcome table. But we're going to each get one of these bookmarks this week in your groups. And it just talks about my true identity. It's one of the ways that you, that you actually... Um, take captive every thought, you know, and make it obedient to Christ is say, look, at, here's who I am. Genesis 131, God's pleased with how he made me. Ephesians 2.10, he made me a masterpiece. John 1.12, I'm a child of God. See, I've been adopted as God's son. Ephesians 1.5, I mean, front and back, it's pretty cool. It's how you take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Um, one of the things we've got to learn if you're going to remain free is you've got to learn how to be vigilant about your thought life. There are so many thoughts that come against your freedom. For most of us, the battle, maybe for all of us, probably all of us, the battle is right between the ears. And that happens every single day. Can I tell you, I'm going to be honest with you here, um, this is how, for me, the power of pornography and lust were ultimately broken in my life. I mean, for years I struggled with that. And I'd ask for forgiveness. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm walking with Jesus. You know, I'm even serving as a pastor, struggling, 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 asking for forgiveness, cleanse me, forgive me. You know, all that stuff. We've all been there. It wasn't until I started to take every thought captive that I began to actually find complete freedom. And I can tell you, I can tell you, standing here, it is no longer an issue in my life. But it took a long time. It took years. It took years of retraining the thinking, taking every thought captive. At this very moment, I can tell you one of the battles that I'm fighting right now that I have for now a couple of years is one of my very bad habits is I, um, I, I have these confrontational conversations in my mind with other people. I give people a piece of my mind in my mind. And you know how that works. You're driving down the road, you're whatever, and you're rickety, rackety, rickety, rackety, rickety, rackety. And you, make, and you make your whole argument up, you know, against them. And man, I, man, I've some doozies. Let me tell you, I've put them in their place. But you know, that's unhealthy. That's wrong. It's not good. All it does is make me more judgmental. That's what the Lord showed me. If I'm going to break judgmentalism in my life, I need to break that terrible thought pattern. And so I can tell you, there are days, <laughs> it might be a hundred times in a day. I don't know. I, I don't even keep track, but it's a lot. 
There's times in the day I'll start this conversation, and my, this conversation will start in my head. I'm starting to chew somebody out, and I'll catch it. No. And I go through this process. Okay, I'm dead. In Christ, I'm dead. This is what Scripture tells me. So I know that thought's not me. And the Bible tells me I have the mind of Christ. I know that's not the mind of Christ, so that's not Jesus. So there's only one other place that could be coming from. So I rebuke that in Jesus' name, and I reject that thought right now. And sometimes I often flip it around, and I start to pray for the person. I use it as a chance to pray for them. And I ask God to bless them and just give an awesome day, Lord. And can I tell you that while I still have those thoughts in my mind, they're not nearly as frequently as they once were. Not even close. I'm just saying, this is where the rubber hits the road. Taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. It's, there's no breakthrough without follow-through. And your group is going to pray for you this week, and I trust that you experience freedom, and it's going to be awesome. But let me tell you, the work's just beginning. But it's a great work. It's a great work. And God is with you. I hope this helps. Let me just give us one more scripture and we close right here with this. Worship team, you can come. I promise there's not even a story after this scripture. It's just, I'm going to leave us with the Bible. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Would you say this? Would you read this with me? It's, it's, we need to read it out loud. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let it. Good news. It's a choice. It's a choice not to also. And this is where the battle is. But Jesus is walking with you. He loves you. Jesus died. He did everything necessary to set you free. He did. There's absolutely nothing that remains undone. Christ has done everything necessary to set you and me free. Amen? And so now you and I can walk in confidence and power. We can. We can walk in victory. Victory can be your story and my story. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.